podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, pod friends, and welcome along to Eurotales. Every club in European football and the regions that contribute to its success has a story to tell. And we're going to tell it to you, pod friends, through a medium of experts and passionate fans in the know. We've a jam-packed episode featuring some of the finest footballing minds in our known universe. Chapter 1. We are delighted to be joined by the one, the only, Dougie Critchley from Football Daily and Sky Sports. Dougie's coming on to discuss the dynamics of this European transfer window. It's been suddenly distorted by an influx of money from Saudi Arabia. Will all the Saudi money change is upon us? The ecosystem in European football, is it being changed forever? Or is it a flash in the pan akin to the Chinese Super League? In Chapter 2, there's new boys about. The Premier League are being graced with the presence of Luton Town. Our podcast is graced with the boys from the ever-so-popular Oh When the Town podcast... It is a remarkable resource for Luton Town fans, good banter too for general football fans. Luton are embarking on a vital transfer window as they prepare to mix it with the big boys on the global stage of the Premier League. They will, of course, be operating with a budget, but the excitement around the club is infectious. It has been a long 31 years since Luton Town last were in the top flight of English football, led by an astute manager and Rob Edwards. We delve into what Luton need this transfer window with the boys in the know. Chapter 3, a very unique segment for you. We are really excited to welcome a scout, a J-League scout to the show, Mark Barreto de Pino from the magnificent Youth Scouting, takes us on a scouting mission to the land of the rising sun. Japan is producing young talent at a phenomenal rate. Belgium is often the destination of choice or anywhere that Ange Postecoglou is. Mark shares his expert thoughts on some of the hottest young talent that could be next off the J-League conveyor belt for the EuroLeague. So let's get right into it. Transfer window is awash with Saudi money. Out of nowhere, the transfer pages are littered with bylines concerning a player exodus to Saudi Arabia. Should European clubs be concerned or delighted? It is a quandary that is being pondered with greater regularity. Ronaldo and Benzema, they've been lured by record high contracts on offer from the oil-rich nation. Four top Saudi Arabian clubs have been nationalised in recent weeks. They were taken into majority ownership by the PIF, the Public Investment Fund Sovereign Wealth Operation. Should Saudi clubs be investing in their own youth or superstar players in the twilight of their careers? Time will tell. But China is a perfect case study. In 2012, Didier Drogba, Anelka, were some of the names that trod down the Silk Road to the Chinese Super League. Today, China is far from being a footballing powerhouse, 
despite the population. Is Saudi money a threat to the fabric of European football? Could the continent be on the verge of losing its appeal to the Hollis stars? Let's hear from the wonderful Doug Critchley from Football Daily and Sky Sports. Hi guys, thanks for having me on the Euro Tales pod. I'm just coming on to give some thoughts about the Saudi Arabian influx of money into the European football transfer market. Look, it's been a crazy few weeks. I definitely didn't think it would be the nation that would be dominating the summer transfer window this year. They've obviously made huge strides in terms of the calibre of players they've attracted on the back of Ronaldo last season. You know, the likes of Benzema, Kante, Ruben Neves, Koulibaly, Mendy, uh, Ziyech looks like it's going to be completed as well. They are targeting players that have an enormous reputation in European football. There have been some notable players that have rejected them as well, so not everyone's just following the money. You know, the likes of Messi, Modric, uh, Neymar as well, doesn't seem like he's too keen to join them at the moment. And I think I've got to be a little bit careful in how I evaluate this because I think there is a little bit of snobbery going on in European football right now about how we talk about this influx of money into the Saudi Arabian League. There's a little bit of a maybe and a bit of inherent racism about how people are judging uh, these players and the league itself. You know, yes, there are you know, huge human rights issues that need to be talked about in Saudi Arabia. But there are Saudi Arabian people that deserve to watch entertaining football that are mad football fans that deserve to be entertained. And, you know, I'm really pleased for them that are going to watch some of the superstars of world football represent their clubs. Would I prefer these players to stay in European football? You know, the ecosystem that I watch? Of course I would. But, you know, these players haven't... It's an interesting ethical dilemma about whether they've done anything wrong by taking this money. Uh, It's perhaps for another debate and something that, you know, I'll keep on gathering my thoughts on as, you know, time goes on. I think there are some notable players that, for them, this move makes a lot more sense than others. The likes of Kante, Eduard Mendy, even Karen Benzema, as good as they've been for their current clubs, they are nearing the end of their careers. It makes sense to go to Saudi Arabia and you know experience the unimaginable wealth that they are offering them. For other players, the likes of Ruben Neves at Wolverhampton Wanderers, etc., leaving to go to Saudi Arabia at 26, I think that's a really interesting decision, to be honest, one that I wouldn't totally be behind. Uh, I know that he gave you know Wolves a massive fee for a player with one year left on his deal, but at the same time, this was a player that was interesting Barcelona at the beginning of the window. That move, of course, didn't actually end up going through, but it feels like he could have attracted other interests from around Europe. So I think he's jumped the gun and going to Saudi Arabia. He could have moved around Europe, gone back to a Champions League level club. This is a player that represented Porto and captain Porto in the Champions League at just 18. So the idea that, oh, he wasn't going to attract another European club, I think is a little bit false. He also could have gone to Saudi Arabia in two, three years time. And people that will respond to me being like, you know, he could still be bought by a European club in two, three years time. No one really knows the standard of football that these guys are going to be playing, whether top European clubs are going to respect that level of competition. You know, for example, the players that moved to China and then came back, Yannick Carrasco is really the only player that went back at a really high level. So I think it's, yeah, it's a little bit wishful thinking to think, oh, he can move to Saudi and then come back to, to Europe and smash it then. So I'm not quite sure on that. There are also some interesting developments in terms of the, the calibre of players that they are buying and the clubs they're buying from. You know, for Chelsea, they've helped Chelsea out of a massive financial issue, signing players that they no longer wanted in their squad who are nearing the end of their careers. You know, the likes of Kante, Mendy, Koulibaly, you know, uh, uh, who haven't I said? Uh, Ziyech, of course. It feels like Chelsea have got out of a massive financial black hole uh, by managing to sell these players. 
other than that, there are some more interesting uh, developments in terms of, you know, Seco Fafana, the Lens midfielder, who was central to their uh, rise up to the Champions League last year. Uh, Champions League places, I should say, finishing second. I believe that that's their best finish uh, since the early 2000s. And he has been one of Europe's most underrated midfielders for a long, long time. And if a club like Lens is losing their best players to Saudi Arabia, that's a little bit more troubling for me. You know, the Premier League has so much more money than the rest of Europe. I'm personally not that worried about the Premier League losing some of its top talents. They have the money to afford to replace them. But when a club like Lens, who has just made the Champions League, loses their top talent to Saudi Arabia, that's a potentially, you know, once in a generation player for them. And I think it's a lot, lot harder for them to replace them. So that's my initial thoughts on Saudi Arabia. It's an interesting ethical question about all these players that all these players are facing Um, but at the same time but we need to be a little bit wary about being too can showing too much condemnation towards the league when um, you know it can come across a little bit patronizing uh, to a whole country so that's my thoughts thanks for having me on guys bye-bye thank you Dougie Mr Critchley's Twitter handle is in the show notes as is the link to football daily the Saudi plot to emerge as a footballing superpower is yet to play out. Fans and connoisseurs of the European game will be hoping the majority of players still yearn to play in stiff competition rather than be tempted by the riches on offer. The ripple effect of the money coming into the transfer market from Saudi clubs will be felt in the weeks ahead. Now, to the Premier League. You're listening to Eurotales, where European football stories are explored one at a time. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. A far cry from all the riches of Saudi money is Premier League new boys Luton Town. Luton Town are Premier League since their playoff victory over Coventry at Wembley. The club's fairy tale story has been subjected to the glare of international attention. It's gone are the days where Luton were in the National League and in dire financial trouble after suffering three successive relegations. The FA smashed Luton with points deductions totalling an eye-watering 30 points. A heavy-handed approach by the FA did not quell the Luton spirit. They deserve this moment and every bit of success they get. They clawed their way back to the championship in 2019 and have continued to evolve since. The unique stadium at Kenilworth Road is a special place and a coliseum most of the Premier League powerhouses will never have experienced anything like it. The Luton town, boys in the boardrooms and offices are hurriedly upgrading their ground just to meet Premier League standards. But on the pitch... The club has to be ready to to seize this moment they have worked so hard for. The young manager Rob Edwards has seamlessly fit into the Luton ecosystem since his arrival. He led Forest Green Rovers to promotion in May 2022 as League Two champions. He was headhunted by Watford and only lasted 10 games. He only took over Luton last November. Here he is now, in the big time. What a hectic 12 months for the former Welsh international. What will the remainder of the transfer window herald for the Premier League new boys? Let's hear from two very excited Luton Town experts, Dave and Steve, from the hugely popular Oh When The Town podcast. 
Hello, this is Dave and Steve from Luton Town Podcast. Oh, when the town you've asked us to have a look and have our thoughts on what we might get involved in with this transfer window. So, Steve, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, where do we strengthen first? Um, I think probably first point is goalkeeper. Um, we, we've got a really good, solid keeper in James Shea, um, but... Last season, we had a lone keeper. I think we need to get our own keeper. Um, we've, we've been linked with thousands of players, as is the way nowadays, but there's Lee Nichols at Huddersfield and the uh, guys at Kaminsky at Blackburn Rovers. Um, either of those seem likely targets, you know, because of our financial budget that we're going to allow ourselves. Realistically, we've got to look at that budget, haven't we, and, and not hope that we're going to we're not going to sign players you know for multi multi millions of pounds so that it's all we've already had a free free transfer come in so i think we'll be looking for more people like that and looking for those deals and those people that really might get a chance at luton that they wouldn't get elsewhere uh, we're looking at midfield. If we look for midfield, it'd be great to have Nakamba back, right? Yeah, I, I, I would absolutely love it if if Nakamba uh, could be signed um Again, current comments are that, you know, the wages is at a bit of an issue. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm sure that the club are looking at other alternatives. Um, there's a, a lad at Brentford, I believe, um, that, you know, that they're looking at as, as a backup. But um, I think most important is signing, re-signing the players that are currently with us because they're the ones that deserve the, the, the first crack of it, as far as I'm concerned. Gary Sweet said, we're going to sign eight to ten players. If we could pick our dream ten players, we'd be spending crap loads of money. Um, where do we need strength in midfield, and maybe another another attacker and some more defence? But there are no players right now that just jump out at me and say we're going to buy those. I think it's all down to money, uh, and being a newly promoted Premier League team, we could be pricing ourselves out of a lot of stuff. I think that we found as we've gone up the divisions, it's got more and more difficult to unearth those gems. And and this is, I would say, obviously that the most difficult out of all of the windows that we've had over the last five or six years. Um, I would uh, love a really creative midfielder. But again, all these people are coming at a premium, which I don't know if Luton are going to sort of go along with. Eight to ten signings, I would be amazed at that. Um, obviously, in this transfer window, we've got to make sure we tie up our own business first. You've got to get your players to re-sign that haven't signed their contracts as yet. People like Pelly Ruddock, people like Colton Morris, people uh, Tom Lockyer is not re-signed at this moment. So I think our... Our main thing would be keep the mainstay of our players, make sure they re-sign and, and then just test the market. I'm sure lots of agents are there waiting to give us opportunities for their players. But again, no name really springs out for me, apart from Marvellous, who I'll be disappointed if he doesn't come back. Yeah, I'll, I'll be gutted if Nakamba doesn't sign for us because he's he's demonstrated how much he's enjoyed playing again. He's fitted in so well. And Tom Lockyer, our captain from last season, he just epitomised what Luton were. He was an image of Luton's character and what we were all about. So he is just as vital as any new player. Um, it would be lovely to have one signing where we go, whoa, you know, I didn't see that one coming. Sadly, it's a bit too late for Declan Rice, isn't it? So we can't get him. Yeah, but would he get in our team? Who knows? I know we've been a bit vague, but I think that's because... Um... 
genuinely the budget will be limited. Luton Town will not spend huge amounts on players, maybe break our transfer record once or twice, but that's only £1.3 million. It's not a lot for a Premier League team. I think uh, we've got to wait and see, see who surprises us. Thank you, gentlemen. While our time to be a Luton Town supporter, perhaps the loan market could help Luton in their quest to fortify the squad before the big kickoff. Luton have surged up the division, so they are adept at making big steps following a promotion. This will be the sternest test to date, and a transfer window like no other. Aston Villa player Marvellous Nakamba is somewhat of a little cult hero down at Luton. Hopefully Villa will allow their defensive midfielder to join the Luton ranks on a permanent deal. The Hatter secured their top goal score from last season on the longer-term deal in recent days. Carlton Morris notched 20 goals last season. It will be exciting to see the 27-year-old on the Premier League stage. They've also captured Republic of Ireland star Okbeni. He's joined the Luton Revolution on a free transfer from Rotherham United. The speedy forward has 15 caps for the Irish and four international goals. The 26-year-old, a bit like Luton, his career has really transformed in a short space of time. He's gone from Limerick FC in the League of Ireland to the Premier League in five years Luton kick off the Premier League story on the 12th of August when they face Brighton on the opening day. We'll check back in with Dave and Steve in the months ahead to see how the Hanners are travelling. The link to their fantastic show is in the show notes. Euro Tales. Euro Tales. To the land of the rising sun, the J-League is producing players for the EuroLeagues at an eye-watering rate. Spurs manager Ange Postacoglu used his knowledge of the J-League to great effect during his time in Scotland with Celtic. He signed six players from the J-League during his successful tenure in Glasgow. It would have been more only missed out on Brighton's Mitoma. Ange ain't alone in his love for J-League players. Japanese players are joining Belgian clubs with increasing regularity. In fact, Belgium and France are the only nations more represented than Japanese nationals in the pre-league Jupiter League in Belgium. Japanese players are renowned for being technically gifted. They suit Belgian football. And there's even a club, STVV, there under Japanese ownership. They sign Japanese stars nearly every transfer window. STVV's Japanese Twitter profile has more followers than its official counterpart. The country is football mad. What might be emerging next? What talents are yet to make the jump from the J-League to the Euroleagues? Let's hear from J-League expert and scout Mark Barreto de Pino on what hot young talent the J-League has to offer and who he thinks is next for a big move. In the following, I will be talking about four different players who currently play in the J-League, mostly as current starters in the rest team, and are relatively young, uh, under the age of 23, and I do think that all of them deserve a move this summer, and I do believe that all of them will also receive a move this summer, with the exception of the goalkeeper, which I'm going to talk about soon. The goalkeeper, his name is Heisuke Osako, and he plays for Sanfrit Sanfrecce Hiroshima, and is currently the starter 
Hinata for his team, but what makes him so special? Well, Keisuke Osako was just 19 years old when he was made Hiroshima's number one goalkeeper in his rookie season. Oscar Osako's debut season was impressive. He started 29 games, conceded only 24 goals and kept 12 clean sheets. Then Keisuke's performances were rewarded with a call-up to Japan's national team. And uh, since 2019, he has all frequently appeared on the national team, uh, with the example of the last game versus El Salvador, where he played the full game and did manage to impress me at least. The second player I'm gonna talk about here is Haruya Fuji. Haruya Fuji is uh, a centre-back, a right-footed centre-back who plays for Nagoya Grampus. He is 22 years old and I do believe that he has a vast, vast ceiling, immense potential, which is only proven by his great season so far. I think he's one of the best, if not the best defender in the J-League right now. I mean, under 23 defender. And I do think that he'll get a move some. Which team would need a player? Well, I think every team does. Because he's a player with the complete package. He has great attitude, great mentality. He's good on his right foot, but also on his weak foot. Likes to go on onto the front, likes to carry the ball to his attacking front of course there are many more qualities but i think it would be just a right investment for any club who's looking for a solid center back and that's just about what i have to say about haria fuji haria fuji is just one of my one of the players i'm most fond of and if he does not move soon i'd probably end up surprised. Then there is um, Keisuke Osako's teammate Shunki Higashi. He's also 22 years old. Oh and Keisuke Osako is 23 years old by the way. Which is really really good put into perspective. Like goalkeepers usually start playing regularly in the first team a bit when they're a bit older and when it comes to Keisuke Osako he's 23 years old but keeps playing every every game. He's just a really 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 good goalkeeper. But I'm gonna talk about Shunki Higashi now. Shunki Higashi Again, 22 years old, teammate from Keisuke Osako in Sanfrecce Hiroshima. He's a midfielder, he usually plays, plays left midfield and is really good at, for example, taking free kicks and corners. He's, he's scored many free kick goals already for Sanfrecce and not only that, but I do think he has great technical finesse and a good vision ability to support that with a great passing ability of course but the main reason why i do think he should get a move is his potential again all of these players i'm going to talk about have an immense potential they are for sh i mean japan as i said is right now they have the golden generation there are so many players who are young devote to their art and are just really really motivated to be the best. Shunkigashi is no exception of that. He has a working mentality which is second to none with only 22 years old and I think he would flourish in any European team, especially in a Belgium team. I think Belgium in general is a really good place for Japanese talent. Many many Japanese talent go there and then use it as a stepping stone. They has, have also Santruiden which is owned by a Japanese. There's that but um, yeah Shunkigashi one of my personal favorites. Of course, there are other other midfielders who are just great and defenders, of course. I'll say at the end, but I pick one from every position. Which are my favorites. There's now only one position left, the attacking position. And there I could 
talk about shoot Machino, but he is already getting a move to Holstein Kiel, so it would be a bit boring to talk about him. Many people know him already. He was called out to the fantastic World Cup, even though he did not play. Uh, so the player I do want to talk about, I was kind of conflicted between two because I really love two, the two of them, which are Makoto Mitsuta and Mao Hosoya. But the thing is, I want to highlight players who could move this summer, and Makoto Mitsuta is currently injured, badly injured. So that's the thing. I don't think due to that that he will receive a move this summer. So I'm gonna talk up talk about Mao Hosoya. Moho Soya plays for Kashiwa Racehall. It's like the light at the end of the tunnel. Kashiwa Racehall has been have been abysmal. Let's let's say that, okay? They um, are currently sitting in 18th, I think, or 17th, and are just not holding to their potential, to their form. They have many players with great potential, such as Moho Soya, but also uh, young players like Tsuchiya, Tanaka, Faruzan. And yeah, uh, but I'm gonna talk about Mao Sawyer. Mao Sawyer, one of my favorite players, 21 years old. He is um, a center forward, center forward, I mean, and it's just stellar when it comes to goal scoring. Yes, that's incredible, credible. Uh, when I say incredible, I mean it. It's instinct. Instinct is instinct is second to none. He has that goal scoring ability, uh, finishing ability to provide, and just in general, a very intelligent player, likes to dribble, is very, very fast, and kind of, kind of reminds me of Mbappé when it comes to his speed, only his speed. Um, of course, right, Mbappé, I don't want to get into this or get into trouble, I prefer not to be, but Mao Soya, great player, I do think he deserves to get a move this summer to get away from Kashiva Racer, but on the other hand, I don't think Kashiva Racer are gonna let him go because they need him. They literally do need him. And yeah, that's a thing. But I do think Mao Soya should go to Cercle Brugge, where Ayase Ueda is currently playing. Since Ayase is probably leaving, since stellar season over there, managed to impress many clubs, I think he will end up in Sporting. But that's not the point. Mao Soya to Cercle Brugge would be a great thing. That's not a rumor, just a speculation, a personal wish. And yeah, that's just, that's, just, that's just the four players. I want to Thank talk about you, Mark there is no greater resource out there on talent in the J League as you can clearly see Mark's Twitter handle is in the show notes give him a follow to keep abreast on the talent emerging from Japan the country has made great strides in the footballing world back in 2002 when Japan hosted the World Cup with Korea there were just four players in the squad applying their trade in foreign leagues fast forward to Kawata that number had swelled to 19 out of 26 players. Belgium and Germany are the footballing hubs that attract the most Japanese players in recent times. European clubs now understand the talents of the Japanese. The J-League is in many aspects the Premier League of Asia. There was more than 50 Brazilians playing there last season. Japan is a model that the Saudis should be following if they are serious about becoming a sustainable global footballing power. It will be intriguing to see who emerges next from the J-League. Well, that is all we've got time for. Thank you to all our guests and you, pod friends, for listening. We have some other episodes out. This is episode four. Have a listen back to the other intriguing tales that have been told already. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Please rate and review our show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Until next time, be well. 
Thanks for listening. Don't miss us between episodes. Simply follow our socials, links in the show notes, or simply search at EuroTalesPod on Twitter. Podcast Network.